0: I remember doing French at school when I was 14 and we had uh, right today we're going to do oral French Mm. uh, (laughs) uh, yeah yeah careful boys (laughs) which means reading John reading John (laughs) don't be a slut I was like uh... this is Tokyo Tonight
1: Tonight. Hey. hey, hey!
0: What's going on, man? How
1: you doing, folks? That was a good build-up. Thank you. All it <laughs> <left>. <laughs> Love it, man. That Love is it. what we've been
2: missing on this show as a drummer. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: yeah. I You're remember.
0: I was be- bemoaning the fact that um, I took my I took my children years ago to, to a circus, mm-hmm. and uh, I told them how good it was going to be. And, and and that there was going to be ba 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 da, trumpets and things. Yes. And when I got there, it could, it was just um, one guy on the drums and some guy on a keyboard.
2: Oh. I was like really <laughs>
0: deflated because I when I went as a kid, there was a balcony like a a, a minstrel's balcony, ten piece band. Oh wow! And wow. then I took my grandchildren and told them, well, there'd be some music, and there was no music. It was just all pre recorded. Oh, pre-recorded. And, oh uh, man but it's it's just inexorable this slow slow slide into monolithic music what i call it where it's just you know it's a one size fits all you know i went I to a pantomime the other day do you have the pantomime tradition in uh, in america i think no, so no not really no it's a christmas no. thing where ah. guys dress up as women and men dress up uh, women dress up as Men and they oh. do these pantomimes like uh, Puss in Boots and Aladdin and things. It's uh, I think it oh. comes from an Italian tradition. I oh. went to one of those the other day, and that was a complete all
1: recorded recorded music. Um, we have different Italian traditions here. Um, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of guys being tossed in trunks. We have a Goodfellas Day uh, where you know every somebody rats on somebody in the family. We don't know who, and then you know they wind <laughs> up in the trunk of a car. It's good. It's nice. <laughs> Listen, I lived in, I,
0: you, you, you won't get me started on it. I lived in Italy for three years. So oh,
1: nice.
0: I, you made a huge um, impact upon my kind of uh, outlook. Oh,
1: really?
0: I was uh, probably, what was I? I was 18, 18. Wow. And wow. I, I was in a band, so I, I wasn't making any decisions at all. I was just the young mascot in the band who just did, turn up when you're told. Bring your drums. This is a rehearsal. This is the gig. We'll meet here. We're going there. You just sit there and just wow. do
2: what you're told. And uh, I loved of, it. What part of Italy were you during that?
0: Well, we lived in Rome. Okay. But we played wow. all, all over. We played all over. And it had this impact on me that was, first of all, learning the language to be much more expressive. You know, because before that, I was quite um, introverted or shy or whatever. And also the other aspect of that is is, uh, when you're going through adolescence, um, you're trying to find your adult personality. It's Mm. very difficult if you're surrounded by your peers, maybe it's not so difficult these days with the access to information of YouTube about how the people live. But in Mm. my day, there there was no YouTube, no mobile phones. And uh, it was almost like you, you didn't really realize it was a rule, but if you went away and got away from your contemporaries, you could um i don't know somehow you know start wearing the emperor's clothes and things and, and nobody yeah. would pull, pull you up on it i remember i came back completely unannounced a surprise uh lightning visit to my parents and i wanted to show my dad how i'd uh, kind of moved on and i wanted to give him the continental kiss on the cheeks <laughs> he recoiled in horror you know because it was just <laughs> he, he he didn't know what happened to his son you know right uh, and it was, you know, it wasn't any, it was just awkward, really. more than, I than you mean but, it. Was, you and, got, uh, so you were, that, that you were just,
1: 18, 19 then? Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, 18 it, to 20, 21 I lived, and I was like a sponge. I absorbed the language because I just wanted, it was just so infectious. It's a nice-sounding <laughs> language as well, Yeah, you know. And it took me about six months to get the nuance of the sound. And, it, and it, it, it's really interesting because it's almost like being a child again. The first thing, cause I have my seventh granddaughter. now. I was talking to her the other day. She doesn't speak. She speaks two or three words. She understands a wealth of things. Now you just speak to it and she, she responds. And that's the way you learn a language. Yeah. You know, And I, I think we should mm-hmm. do that in schools. I don't even know what you do in uh, America, but the, the education program for languages in our country is completely, you know, buggered really, you know, yeah. they should learn. Yeah. We should, Teach kids a language when they're five or six or seven; they can absorb stuff so readily and easily, and not be self-conscious. Yeah, which is the one thing. I remember doing French at school when I was fourteen, and we had uh, right today. We're going to do oral French. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and you, you, yeah, yeah. Careful, boys. <laughs> it means reading, John. Reading, John. <laughs> Don't be a slut. I was like. Do and, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which somebody told me there
0: was like two guys in the class, you know, and would read it a la French, and you know, je j'ai, je suis anglais, j'ai un ami de France, you know, and everybody was like, je suis un anglais, j'ai un ami, you know, we, I'm not going to look like a complete, you know, <laughs> or, or, I don't know, like whatever right. it was, you you felt you were almost kind of bearing yourself if you, if you did all that stuff, right. you know, so yeah. all that stuff I couldn't do when I was 14, I found it kind of easy to do when I was 18. There were wow. girls, there was food, yeah. there was just gl- glorious food and, and, and the hospitality, you know, and I've mm. learned, I've learned, I, I haven't so much learned it. I've kind of just taken that on that whole thing, which we, we didn't have in those days and in, in England, in Great Britain, whatever you want to call it, it just mm-hmm, yeah. wasn't there. In fact, the other day, I went for a haircut, this new place, Bebo's. I think he's from Kosovo or somewhere like that. And he offered me a coffee. I said, is it a good coffee? And he said, yeah. And his assistant was going. (laughs) 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 Bebo didn't see it. And uh, he went into the back room and he made me some coffee. And I I said, look, I only have it black. I'll know if it's good. Right. He said, I make a good coffee. And uh, so I was drinking the coffee while he was doing his things. And it was Nescafe you know uh, it's just like freeze powdered things he said, yeah how was my coffee i said well it's powder <laughs> and, 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 and the guy the guy the assistant like was just peeing himself but he didn't really want to give the game away because bibo was his boss says, yeah so i'll bring you some coffee so the other day i took him a, a cafetiere with some proper coffee and it said give that to your customers or don't give it to them at all mm-hmm. and my yeah. my wife linda was thrilled she said that's what i like about you I would never have done things like that yeah. if I hadn't you know embarked on a journey to Italy and uh, I'm not saying it's exclusively the exclusive property of Italy but I learned how I don't know how they kind of interact with people. Sure. It's just small small gestures and it just they are a yeah. generous generous nation and we are although we're improving we are definitely much
1: more reserved. I think- <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 1. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I mean I I agree man. It's it's kind of funny. You got a bit you got you got to be extremely well rounded at a young age and I feel like everybody could use a little bit of that. They don't necessarily have to go to Italy like you said, but I mean, yeah, you learned how to communicate and do shit for other people outside of where you grew up and that's what makes you, unique you know, and what makes you bring the coffee to that somebody like that. I understand that completely. Well, I understood where where he was, you know. I want to, to it's not even a kind of conscious Train of thought—it's just mm-hmm.
2: something
0: you just do automatically, you know. Yeah, it's I a mean, nice gesture. Uh, yeah, but um, I think it's all bound up in the fact that you identify with him being in a foreign country.
1: Yeah, learning it...
0: learning learning a second language.
1: Do you think and, it affected and... your bandmates the same way?
0: No, they were lazy. <laughs> 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 okay, <laughs> I had one one guy who was a bit of a uh, what should we call him? Um, he was uh, he liked the ladies. Ah, he, yes. he, he wasn't really that uh loyal he was just mm. he just notches on the old oak tree you know yeah yeah. And yeah. we used to go to this cl- and in the winter we only played um maybe three nights at the weekend and and, and the week we were all kind of uh just uh, you know just free apart <laughs> from rehearsals and whatever would come up recordings and stuff and then in the summer we just left town and we just went all around italy playing uh you know one night stands and but I remember mm-hmm. in this club, this famous club called the Piper Club in Rome, he, mm-hmm. I could see him over the balcony canoodling with this girl. And he saw me over the opposite side of the balcony and he ran over. He said, pick. Yes, Dave. He says, what, "What? what's Italian for I love you?
2: Mm-hmm. Tiamo.
0: So says, tiamo, tiamo. So he runs off, it's like Keystone Cops. <laughs> and you can see him, then it's mime to me because he's way over the other end, he's going. And he's waiting for, <laughs> you know, he's waiting for the, to have the knickers in his hands. So I don't know what, what, what. <laughs> <laughs> what he wants. You know. <laughs> but no, I was the only one that kind of, uh, it wasn't even a conscious thought, you know, I just did it. You know?
1: Yeah. You just and absorbed uh, it,
2: like you were saying about the children earlier, like you absorbed yeah, the culture. Yeah, but into, yeah. I,
0: there was a willingness as well. I took my yeah. test there. I took a driving wow. test there. That did was it? hilarious. That was wow. absolutely hilarious because all those years ago, they not only did they learn practical driving, they learned um, just um, theory as well. Okay. You well, know, no. so you would be asked questions about the, the steam coming out of the, the engine. What do you do? Well, you just turn off, and what could it be? Probably the radiator. Don't touch it because it's hot.
1: That's right. Stop the
0: car, yeah. you know, and things like that. So you have that first. Yeah. In the, on the same day, you have to pass. It's like a passing out ceremony. You you, <laughs> you, you you If you pass that, you then go on to join this cavalcade about 10 cars mm-hmm. with with individual instructors and their clients who were trying to take the test. And you just follow the main guy who's, oh. who's the examiner in the car number one, but there's not a queue. It's oh, just, wow. it's just the first one that grabs him. So you have this cavalcade going around Rome, trying to catch his attention every time oh, he stops. Funny. It's just really bizarre, really bizarre way of doing it. Uh, yeah. And I passed. So it was great. So I used to drive up and down the motorways wow. all, all the time when we had these weekend things and, Pop pills because on the sun, Sunday night, if we played in Milan, Milan to Rome is, I don't know what it is, it's, it's probably 500, 600k. Ke- yeah. And yeah. I just couldn't, and I was the only one who took the test. So I drove the car. <laughs> and I, and I just, just, I just, I said, I can't do it. You have one of these? I said, What are they? You said, Well, you won't fall asleep now. So I had one. And it was, just, <laughs> it was just, it was just, it was just magic. Was, they were slimming pills, weren't they? Really, yeah. right, that's right, how it yes. all started. You know, yeah. like George Carlin does a sketch on it. You know, hey yep. mom, where are you going? Shopping it Midda-
2: Yeah, well you know they're
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she that's found a out there was a whole, whole lot more slimming in those slimming pills. Yeah. <laughs> when I, it's funny that you say that. When I was a kid, I had a um, my uh, my, my I basically step grandmother. Uh, but she was she was always taking that kind of stuff because she always had a new diet thing going on and diet. Yeah. Post. I was a kid and she was watching me for like an afternoon. She took me to a store and I didn't, at the time I didn't realize it, but as I was older, I realized it. She was taking that shit. And I remember her being like, all right, I'll be right back. I'm going to look for something. And I, that's the <laughs> all the last thing I heard. And she was like fucking halfway down the store. And I was a little kid. I was like seven or eight. And I was just like, yes, yeah. I'm on my own here. But she like, you know, road runnered around the store. <laughs> Came back to me with shit. And I was like, what the fuck was going on? Hey, hey. You you
2: were the only kid that uh, Kate got back to their parents, and was like, oh my God, she wore me out. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. It was the <laughs> opposite way around. Yeah. Man, I remember she took me to a movie at one point, too. And I remember her just kind of getting up, walking around. She's like, I have to walk around the theater. Boop. Pew. <laughs> Came back, sat down. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. because there was always a price to pay, you
0: know, because I drove back to Rome and they, they were asleep. I mean, I had it, yeah. it was okay for a while because it was yeah. a. Necessi- necessity needs to do it. But uh, over in this country, we have the, um, we have these uh, books, which I remember reading. My, well, my dad read them to me when I was five or six um, mm-hmm. by a guy called the Reverend W.W. W. Audrey or something. Ringo Starr does the uh, narration for the televised series. It's for kids, wow. young wow. kids, mm-hmm. kindergarten kids. Right, right. And it's about, um, it's about a, a, a train, a train line with a mm-hmm. fat controller and all the, Trains have faces on them, you know, and and little yeah. stories, and and, and really yeah, the story yeah. is in the in the pictures, and then the narration is stuff. Remember one, there was um, this this train was called Edward. The engine was called Edward, and he had new livery, beautiful mm-hmm. paint, and he went through this tunnel, and it was raining, and so he said, "Right, I am stopping now, mm-hmm. Cause, you know, because <laughs> yeah. the train could speak. <laughs> right, I'm yeah. stopping I'm, in the was... tunnel. I'm not going out because the because the, the, the weather will ruin my new brand new livery. He said, but mm-hmm. what about the train, Ed, uh, Edward? He says, I'm not going, I'm not going. So the, basically, to shorten the story, they bricked him up and left him in there. And mm. all the other trains went through the other tunnel. and go, boop, boop, Edward, you know, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Until one day, there was uh, leaves on the track, which is a famous thing in this country. Trains are mm. uh, suspended because there's leaves on the track in the autumn. Wow. Shh, the, wheel, the wheels spin and stuff. So yeah. they actually dig him out and he, he, he's kind of redeemed. But the, the point of the story is uh, these mammoth journeys from places like Milan and then Bologna down to Florence, Firenze, uh, yeah. they, it goes through the mountains. It's beautiful. I mean, some of the engineering in Italy is beautiful. And uh, this is in the sixties and you, instead of going up and down these mountains, you just go through them,
1: uh-huh. you know,
0: with these tunnels and yeah. uh, on a Sunday, the big, the big heavy lorries weren't allowed to come out until midnight. So I was very keen to uh, no, no speed limits.
1: Okay, well, you could uh, just
0: just put your foot down. That's my go, dream. Yeah, go. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> it's, okay, it's okay, but I was 18, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 19, maybe 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 I was 20 by the time I passed my test. 19s certainly. Anyway, mm. I was rabbiting away. They're all asleep. I saw a penguin on the side of the road which I thought was worthy of comment
1: yeah, and yeah, uh, about nobody was
0: listening. And then I came around the corner, there was the entrance to the tunnel and there was the brick wall, a la Edward, oh. you know, but it was all hallucinations. And I was I don't about to happened.
1: say there is no, I was you know, like, was I was like, where was this? Goals. I was like, did a zoom break? Like what happened? <laughs> well, I just
0: came around the corner high as a kite on these hills. And uh, <laughs> there where was the tunnel, there was the brick wall. And as soon as I put my foot on the brakes, of course, it was just a complete mirage yeah but uh yeah. i got through the end of the and i just said i wasn't going to do it anymore and somebody else had to we either had to employ somebody to do it and i would do some of the driving but i wouldn't do it any anymore because it was just it was too um it was crazy it was crazy you know i mean yeah it's i, I recollect it now with great affection because yes. uh i was you kind made of it. It was, well it's all part of the process of i don't know growing up you know being yeah getting away from that contemporaries and 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 it's back to that whole thing you know so i don't know it's just just it's a huge it's a huge curve that you go on and i'm forever grateful to it and i never miss a chance to go back you know because i just
1: it's Uh, nice to have those experiences yeah i feel like i don't know i I always wonder if like the generations coming up are getting that kind of experience because they you know so much of it is is social media and inside and not really doing much and you know, not really traveling as much and that kind of shit. It's weird, man. I know, I know, but they're different times. You know, what's crazy too, is like, I love the way you were talking about how, you know, uh, you learned how to be an adult or, you know, from kind of getting away from your friends for a little bit or like getting away from your mates and stuff like that. But like, the weird thing is my friends and I always talk about this all the time is like, we grew up on like uh, 80s movies that were extremely social nobody had phones or anything like that. Like you kind of learn through like other watching other people. And it's interesting now, like the shows and stuff that are coming out. It's not, it's not so much about people interacting. It's all about people doing less. You know what I mean? Like all the the jokes are just like, Oh, you know, I just want to stay in bed all day. Well, you can't learn how to interact with people. If your first thought when you wake up is I don't actually want to get out of bed. You know what I mean? Like it's a it's a really weird time, I think. But it's interesting to me because, like, I I I didn't grow up that way at all either. I wanted to be around other people, and I wanted to travel, and I wanted to see other shit. I love driving. I I totally relate to that. Yeah, I do. I could drive forever. Like I was always the one who drove my friends everywhere, and uh, it was it was just one of those things. Like I mean, we don't, you know, I travel as a comedian now, but like I don't travel with people as much anymore. I don't. We don't all pile into one car. And like fuck off to another state for a weekend or something like that anymore. Yeah, it's a bummer. Did you did you always want to be a musician? Was that your was that your dream? Because eighteen, that's young to be going away in a band.
0: Well, there was. The, you see, once you go back to that area, the sixties, there was huge opportunities, which was all really created by the Beatles. Yeah. Um, yeah. They and that happened over your side as well. Mm-hmm. I've, I'm amazed at how many people who have gone on to have fantastic careers like Pat Metheny and John Schofield. I mean, really top-notch yeah. guitar players. And, and and when you see interviews about their early influences, it's the Beatles. It's the yes. Ed Sullivan. It's the Ed Sullivan show. I want to do that. I want to yeah. do that. That's what I want to do. And even Ringo, you know, has that kind of accolade. Because, and it was the same in, in England, you know, although I was – uh, by the time they were becoming much more expansive with Sergeant Pepper, I was in Italy, but the first thing was, um, in Germany. So I was already playing in bands and
2: mm.
0: just as a hobby, but we decided it, I'm, st- I'm still, I'd probably played in my, my third band and it was the one, the, probably the second best band in, in Leicester where I grew up a provincial town in the middle of the country. And, uh, basically, uh, we started playing in dance halls as opposed to and and going outside of the city limits. So it was beginning to become more of an adventure. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like sorties out and then back home, you know, almost like, you know, reconnaissance and (laughs) um, and you meet, you meet people who, who come from other areas. So, and you gravitate towards this place where there's a good gig and you Mm -hmm. play and you meet guys that live 200 miles away from you. Right. Or you meet, you meet, or you meet in the transport cafe, you meet bands from London traveling back and you you kind of swap notes and Mm -hmm. all these bands were doing auditions in London to, um, to go and play in Germany. And so we, we had this idea. We got down to London. I I was, um, working then as a a junior clerk in, uh, for Leicester city council. It was was really boring, (laughs) but I wasn't quite sure. I knew it was boring until yeah. I had the point of reference.
1: Do <laughs> you know what I mean? You had to, yeah, you had to check it out. You're like, I don't know, it might be boring, but...
0: No, I, I, there I was doing it, and I, thought I didn't know if this was, this was it, or this sure. is it forever now. But, um, so we went down to Germany, sorry, London, to this ballroom, and it was just like a, a factory, like a conveyor belt. There were 50 bands there. Wow. You know, as you were walking in, there was a band walking out, having completed their audition. Uh, and as you got into the room... There was you were greeted, and because there's no internet, so it's all done, you know, written-wise. So you're mm-hmm. set up there. And then this room, all the bands were just setting in various stages of the process of setting up the equipment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then there'd be a band that was playing, and then there'd be a band that had just played, starting to take their equipment down. Then another band almost putting their stuff in the cases. And then there's the band you bumped into as you came in that were walking out. And there was a table in the middle with an English agent and two Germans. You played three songs and you either got a big tick or a big cross. And we were, we, we kind of passed the audition mm-hmm. and, and kind of weeks later off, we went to Hamburg. Wow. And that was my first experience of being a boy. And I cried my eyes out. Oh, man. I was, what a Don't like it here. Don't like this language. <laughs> and, and so we played, we played six hours a night. Wow. You know, and uh, I saw a lot there, but I kind of learned what it was later.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you, were your parents, I mean, I mean, it was a different time, but were your parents cool with you kind of just leaving, doing um, your own thing?
0: Initially, they had, they, they had seen me play in, um, in some bands that just did uh, social clubs locally. Mm. So my mother was kind of... Uh, bit of an oddball. I think she kind of enjoyed the kind of reflected glory of it, you know? Nice. Yeah.
2: So,
0: so that was, but in, in, in answer to your first question about how do I get started? I do remember having uh, knitting needles on biscuit tins mm-hmm. and uh, doing that. And then wanting to, I don't know where the Beatles fits in chronologically, but mm. I knew I was campaigning for a drum kit. And the answer was no. And my oh. mother like a lot of families in, of my generation um the mother made decisions the man put the put the bread on the table Mm -hmm. and that's basically all he did right Um, and that woman cooked and washed and ironed and you know disappeared up their own derriere trying to keep the family together (laughs) right but uh so she made no you're not having one and that was fear driven it was more to do with um the consequence of this antisocial instrument, and what the neighbours might think, because wow. you, li- you don't so much live in a tight knit community; you live in a community where everybody's got the same stuff, right? Yeah, you know, nothing outside yeah. T- an outside uh, Lou, right? You had know, to go outside to share it with another house, no bathroom. Wow, yeah, you, know, you had to go to the local municipal swimming baths, and they'd have a section where they had what they called slipper baths, and you go in there, have mm. a bath, or you'd get a tin zinc bath out and fill it with hot water in oh your living God. room but then you, to empty it with the sauce. but it's just wow. you know, but people did it and and there was no kind of a sense of well, this is not very good because we're all in the same position in fact the same people when it was declared unsuitable for living moved to a purpose-built um, uh, estate not far away but with central heating indoor toilet bathroom and they behaved completely differently you know they kind of snitched on each other and you know, became house proud and precious. And so anyway, she wouldn't buy me the drum kit. So I joined this organization organisation called the Bush Brigade, which mm. was a, a kind of, uh, it's affiliated to the church. And uh, like the Boy Scouts, but less fun. Oh, wow. Well. You know, you, know, you, you do, you, it's like a little army kind of thing. You know, you have platoons and you have mm. inspection for your kit turnout. But they did have a band that marched around the neighborhood and i remember as a kid seven year, six year or seven year march they they marched around the neighborhood the first sunday of every month mm-hmm. and uh, you, were, you in those days people could be much more spontaneous you just marched on the pavement beside them mimicking them and i kind of knew that i wanted to do that wow. and then, by hook or by crook i got um, i got a drum i got i, I was involved in the in the boys brigade <coughs> excuse me and uh, uh, so as soon as I was a member, I said, I want to be in the band. Oh, everybody wants to be in the band. You, have to march, be- <laughs> you march behind for a year. So right. March behind for a year. I want to be in the band. I want to be a drummer. Oh, we all want to be a drummer. You know, you've got to be- <laughs> play the bugle for a year. <laughs> so After two years, the third year, I got my drum, and within, within another year, I was the lead drummer. Wow. But that's because there's natural wastage. There's no provision for
1: anybody. Yeah, just to, to
0: stay after sixteen—that's
1: a lot of patience for a kid.
0: <laughs> well, it's the same thing we were talking about before. I, I don't base it on anything. Right? I didn't know it as, as as it was just what it is. You know, you just you just yeah. I, I mean, I was interested. in, I, I like playing soccer as well. I was good at soccer. Oh, nice. So that kind of gave me um an identity as well. Mm. I played re- representative football, as we call it. Um okay. But since as as the drums came along the football took a, a back seat and then i didn't i
1: didn't try I know just played so would you say being <laughs> in that kind of gave you the confidence to to keep going with it to keep going into a band? like you were like okay i did this and now i want to go into a real band
0: no i don't think so i, I think i was really fortunate that there was kind of the right circumstances within the the marching band when i first started playing i'm in my third year mm-hmm. There was a guy, I mean, I remember their names, Kenny Roberts and Morris Hallam. They had a band that oh, nice. did all the functions for the Boys' Brigade on the social side of stuff, okay. as opposed to the church-affiliated, you know, first aid classes, Wayfarers and all that, PE. There was a social side as well. And they could rehearse in the church hall for free. Wow. And uh, they could, uh, Then they, they weren't expected, but it was just, we just wanted to play. we played at the functions they didn't get paid and mm. they say so uh, and kenny rob was a really good drummer but he wanted to be a guitar player so he played he said, you're playing drums we didn't have a bass player wow but one of the yeah. real key things about this to, to really emphasize the the good fortune was that this church hall we played was next to the only shop 10 20 yards from the only musical shop in leicester that, that really latched on to the explosion of um of musical instruments for 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 kids you know electric guitars it was all um trombones and stuff prior to that and they had the first ludwig what we call the ringo kit in the window and we used to press our press our window uh, our noses up but what as a consequence of that was people would come on a saturday and pay their dues their what we call higher purchase i don't know what you call it in america well, you put a deposit oh, on, on
1: lay, oh, layaway, we would call yeah, it. Like yeah. you, you,
0: you put a deposit down, which is negotiated. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the 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 proprietor of the music shop is satisfied, the guarantees and things. Although they right. weren't too invasive in those days, you know, right. like they are now about guarantors and things. And yeah. then you walked out with this instrument and you paid a weekly, weekly thing That's with great. interest, with interest. So you paid more than the ticket price. It's right. like borrowing money. So yeah. these kids used to come over and see Kenny Roberts because he was a bit of a networker. And mm. uh, I would get, like, little tips, you know. I always like playing like this. <laughs> and really concentrating. <laughs> and then this guy came over called Dave Lawrence, who was big lad, and uh, mm. he really put me in it. But, but when I first met him, they said, oh, it's Dave, he'll show you a beat. And it, this beat was the first beat I learned, which was syncopation. And, and it was like this. Instead of being... he was really sort of no mess. It was. It just blew me away. I just,
1: yeah.
0: Wow. How do you do that? And I couldn't do it. I
1: was
0: going to... <laughs> I didn't understand it. And then I, I eventually did get it. And uh, then a few weeks later, he says, says, could you do me a favor? He said, um, I'm a, I'm double booked and I would like somebody to, to dep, deputise for me at this gig. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like a, I'm like a whippet, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and off I go to this kind of uh, social club in outside the city limits. And it was a, it was a women's night, uh, just women. And I just, I was hor- horrified. I played with this guy <laughs> with no bass. He played the piano and the guy played the saxophone. And I was, I've never met them before. And they would say, fast twist <laughs> there you go great <laughs> but on the front it was just a sea of women and we did i was trying to impress frank so we mm-hmm. did uh, not okay. fade away or something i had these shakers you know yeah, and the woman at the front hey up, Edie.
1: he's got his maracas
0: out <laughs> <laughs> they were like cackling geese and i oh, hadn't been to italy by then
1: right so, yeah. I
0: was so vulnerable and I just, I was beetroot all oh. night. It was just horrendous. Never play to a, wi- a room full of women unless you really know your onions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings yeah. me to another thing. The other side of that coin is when I played with a um, really beautiful girl called Charlie door mm-hmm. Charlie Dore's back pocket was like a country band. She had a minor hit with something called Pilot of the Airwaves. I don't know if it, made it to america she was really cute and uh was just all boys in the band country but quite a good band and she was singing playing guitar and she was very sassy and she was getting grief from this guy like a heckling George. your tits no because we (laughs) we weren't and and she 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 eyed him up yeah he was getting awkward because people were just like even the audience would go oh this is so embarrassing and then she just said she just said uh if your cock's as big as your mouth is, come and see me after the show. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, and we, we were, I mean, we back in those days. Yeah, you know, we were the whole band of going, because <laughs> he, he was ruining the gig. You know, we, we were all with Charlie. It was great. Yeah. That's yeah, great, you know, and it's, it's tough to be a girl in, in rock. I don't know. I think it's tough now.
1: Yeah, to, you absolutely. Know, play
0: with a, you know, you'd think of Amy Lou and Bonnie Raitt and things oh, like that and Linda Ronstadt. Yeah. I saw this thing on Linda Ronstadt over here on YouTube. What a sensational singer she was, and so Absolutely. many so many strings to a bow. It's just outrageously talented and yeah. you know, it's just wonderful. And it's so sad she's she has she got um she got Parkinson's, I think. Yeah? I know. Yeah. And it's just yeah. so so sad. I hope she I really do hope that it's not it doesn't kind of kill her inside that when you lose that ability to to sing, but I see she sings with her family and they're very sympathetic. So, But uh, <laughs> if, you ever, if you ever speak to her, just, just, just say how much I, I just so full of admiration for her. Absolutely. You know, she's, she's just fantastic. She's just not just a, started off as a rock chick. She did mm-hmm. the Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah. And she did the, the Mexican thing. And, and, and it's always the same. We shouldn't be doing that Linda. You know, that's not, that's going to ruin your career. And now I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And she always did it just so well. And she, she just, did it better than anybody else and yeah just i mean that's phenomenal absolutely
1: phenomenal there's this great i don't know if you um i've seen it but i think it was over the pandemic it may have been made like right beforehand but there was this great thing that cnn did and it was just they went through music during the deck like through the decades so from like uh 50s and up right so that when they got to like 60s 70s they did you know they mentioned dire straits and they mentioned the 80s stuff Um, Oh really? Oh yeah, absolutely. It was, but it's great, man. And they cover Linda Ronstadt's whole history as well. Like, there's just all these people that came up around that time that all kind of knew each other. JD Souther, um, all this stuff. But they they really did. I think they did a beautiful job on Linda Ronstadt when they covered that whole thing because there was stuff in there that I, you know, I'm a fan, but I I didn't even know or didn't know how how ingrained into the music's like scene like she was and all those people were and how much they kind of helped each other. Um, there's a real unity with that. I think with those decades, you know what I mean? Like all of you guys seem to lift each other up and like, we're excited when, when a, a new band came into town that they hadn't seen. Um, what, what was there? Was there groups? Was there people around that time that you guys kind of like clung to and hung out with?
0: Not so much hung out with, but I, I
1: think that feeds back into that
0: kind of being, unsure about yourself you know Mm -hmm. i do know what happened was that uh, once you started to stop playing in these like little localized social clubs and go out into the wider world there'd probably Mm -hmm. be two or three bands on and it was became like a gunslinging exercise you know the first thing you thought was i hope we go down i hope we go down better than them yeah (laughs) i hope i'm fat i hope i'm faster than him on the drum all kind of really just misconstrued ideas about how it all works. Sure. But yeah. It's only when you find your own musical identity that you um kind of relax a little bit and you don't feel so kind of I don't know um vulnerable. I I, I, I think being vulnerable is a nice quality, but you don't Keeps feel you quite so, so don't feel quite so vulnerable. In fact, in fact um I remember uh, my kind of moment was w- w- working with Dylan, you know. Oh, I got yeah. invited to do that uh, "Slow Train Coming" album, which was a religious um, yeah. motive album, and my instinct was to to say no because I, I, I didn't want to fail because I had wow. all these records and I just but you don't because you go and it's 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 very much like because um, in Dire Straits you kind you kind of meet these guys and you're nothing and all of a sudden fame gets kind of put on you rather than you know so you just kind of grow with it. Mm-hmm. And you're you're a unit, especially in the in the, the early early stages. You're a unit because you all have the same ambition, the same aspirations. Yeah. You know. But um. So, well, when I did that, and and the first day was a disaster because <laughs> uh, you know I just kept speeding up. Apparently, I was listening to Bob Bob's guitar. I don't know what I was doing, but as soon as I settled, um, because I'd done a lot of work with metronome, so I knew I knew I, I didn't unravel but I just we couldn't work out what was going on really but as soon as it settled it was great and I was only there for 10 days and it's I'm really pleased with it but it gave me a kind of the benchmark where I thought it's a bit like being like to use the soccer analogy you know you play for your local team you always want to play for your local team and they play at elite sports level and you're okay you're comfortable you know everybody they look after you you're young they kind of nurture you. And then you get invited into the manager's office and say, oh, I want you to come in, pick um, uh, You know, Manchester United have uh, made an offer for you, mm. uh, one and a half million pounds, and we've agreed. So you could go up there. Wow. And good, lu- and good luck. And you go, <laughs> and you. Th- oh, part of you says, wow. And the other half is going, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But now I don't know anybody. I've got to go in this room with the... Uh, all these other guys that, that I, I admire and the man, somebody's seen something in me, I don't know what it is, but mm-hmm. that's what I aspire to. And you have to sink or swim.
1: Absolutely. You
0: know, and it, it, it's just amazing. So I did a session. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was shortly thereafter, but post the, Bill, the Dylan thing, I did this session where, um, it was for Scott Walker. Do you remember Scott Walker? Yeah. What a yeah. fantastic one. Well, I hadn't been told that, uh, the, the the original drummer walked off the walked off because he was fed up with it, and wow. I did it for about a day. And he'd been doing it for ages,
1: mm-hmm. and it
0: was just just a crazy. Brian Eno was producing, and mm-hmm. I was the only guy in the studio, and everybody else was playing in the control room. So it was like oh. playing in a big goldfish bowl. Right. I wasn't quite sure. Yeah. There was no kind of instruction. Scott was just saying, "I want you. I want you to. Um, when I do this, I want you to." Intensity there. I'm going to do this. I want you to build. I'm wow. going to do this. I want you to hold it. And then when I do this, I want you to take it back right down. Hmm. So, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah do what you said. <laughs> yeah. And it just wasn't working. Yeah. And, and I was just, yeah. just going because I had to do the long trek up to the control room where everybody was after each each take. And Brian Eno who was just on the board. He's, he was laughing. I said, what is it, Brian? He says, he says, I don't know what the fuck's
1: going on. <laughs>
0: and I'm producing it.
1: <laughs> I, I swear to God, I dread moments like that where I'm in a situation where I'm in awe of the situation I'm in. And someone comes up to give me du- specific directions. Because I swear to God, I would do. I would sit there and look at him and go, uh-huh. And then he'd walk away and be like, what the fuck did he just say? Because yeah. I'm too but- enamored with the the whole thing.
0: Yeah. Back if... to back to Charlie Dorr, back pocket and if you're as big as you know the heck the the girl
1: yes absolutely story, yeah. Uh, yeah yes yeah
0: she was she was booked to do um, a commercial for um, Heinz oh. and uh, it was we've made it we've made it we pass the Heinz test we're tasty we wholesome we're certainly the best you I know mean, she's singing that <laughs> yeah and it's kind of known that when you go to one of these sessions. Um, there are loads of people in the control room who don't have anything to do with it. They are people at Heinz because you get you get you get a guy that's supposed to charge with producing it, a guy to engineer it. Mm-hmm. They're the key guys. Then you get somebody who's, who's uh, in charge of the budget for Heinz, always want to know how the studio works. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then you get an executive manager and they go because they want to they want a day off and they want to see what it's all like. And yeah. they all get their heads together. And poor old Charlie's in this contro- uh, in this studio. And he, the, the intercom's on, and she says, uh, they go, Charlie, uh, y- yes, John. She said, the guy wants to speak to you, OK? And, uh, yeah, Charlie, it's uh, Mr Higgins here from Heinz. We really like what you've done. Can you do it again? and sound more like a tomato. <laughs> tomato. Amazing. She, to- tomato, sorry. <laughs> now, you see, Charlie it needed the money, so she says, yes. But she she not <laughs> fucking clue what she's going to do so she sings it again you know and just hoping that somehow some inflection is uh, yeah made them think of tomatoes so it's it's just so it's so bizarre and really to have the most fun out fun out of it you have to you really have to you know take your own kind of personality out of it and not feel that it's a reflection on you that you fail or Mm -hmm. you know it's just David Sanborn did one. I have a really great friend who's just fabulous uh, engineer and he, 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 he's moved out of London now because London isn't the hub it used to be for recordings, films, TV, right. records, everything, you know, commercials. It's just not there anymore. That kind of breadth of work. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was doing something and they had uh, for, for another company, I don't know what it was, Cadbury's, I don't know who it was. But they had Rapha- Raphael Ravenscroft on the saxophone. You know the guy that played Baker Street?
1: Yeah.
0: He'd, he'd yeah. done something. So cool. And they were, they were wrapping up this thing. And Bill, my 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 friend, the engineer, said, are we done? Are we done? Are you happy? So, um, he says, well, Bill, you should stay. What's the matter? oh, I've got a ticket to see David Sanborn. David Sanborn? Is he in town? Do you know him? <laughs> well, uh, I know his manager. He says, Oh, do you think he would come down here and play saxophone on this? I love David Sanborn. He said, um, "But w- w- what's wrong with what you've got? He said, well, I like that. Yeah, Raphael's great, but it's just David Sanborn. You know, just it would just be great. He said, well, I'll ask him. Mm-hmm. Just, it, it, it won't be cheap. Oh, no. Just, it, 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 don't mind that. So he booked him. Yeah. And he comes in and the guys are up there. They, they, he's got such a... Kind of reputation that they can't, they can't talk to him. They're in the control room, and, mm-hmm. and Bill, my mate's down there, said, the "Guys, love you. That's why you're booked. Just, just do what you want. You know." Wow. So, so he just, he just plays, and and Bill, my friend, said, "It was amazing." Wow. It was just, it was Raphael, Raphael Ravenscroft times a thousand. You know? And they, and they went, ah, oh, that's <laughs> great. So you're happy. He, you think you could do it again? He said, um, were you happy? Yeah. yeah, but why don't you do it again? He said, well, if you're happy, why do I want to do it again? Yeah. And he said, well, it just, it's, just, it's just, it might be better. He said, okay, I'll do it again. So he does the same thing, you know, just maybe a few nuances that are different.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And he says, Can you do another one? And Bill goes, whoa, wait a minute. And he says, we're out of tracks. We're out of I tracks. Um, so um, you're going to have to lo- start losing stuff. In order to record he says he said he says and david said tell you what wipe all my tracks out i'll do another one okay wow I said, okay so we'll do that he Said. Oh, hold it Sam and says from the studio floor he's the only guy there he said just give me a bit of atmosphere take mm-hmm. the lights down mm-hmm. and he starts taking the lights down he said lower, lower until the basically they're off wow. he says right play the track he takes his saxophone apart, puts it in the case, and fucks off. <laughs> wow! And they've lost all his tracks, so his reputation's in, intact. And oh. they used Raphael's Ravenscroft, and he got paid.
1: Wow! Unbelievable. Takes
0: some, some chutzpah to do that, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. That's a fucking amazing story. Holy shit! Wow. That is great.
0: And then to, to, to stop the amazing stories, uh, we were doing. We were um, <laughs> or to put a. To, to put, uh,
1: <laughs> put the end of
0: it. Um, I'm putting this out because I, I want some help with this. If I can mm-hmm. have some help, uh, we were in New York recording with Wire crates and uh, it was probably the third album, uh, "Skate Away." What, what was it called? Making Movies.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, I'd done. I put most of my tracks down, and I'd heard that James Brown was playing down in the in the village area of uh, New York, Manhattan. So I went. I think mm-hmm. it was on my own, like a little club. This was before he had kind of resurrected his career with living in America, before that. Mm-hmm, that, yeah. wasn't, that wasn't on the horizon then. So he was playing these small clubs. It was a small club. It was packed to the gills, 300 people, huge cross-section of New York society, pinstripe suits, uh, punks, other, it's just and it was just a great atmosphere, yeah. just shoulder, shoulder to shoulder. He came out and did an amazing show. And I'd heard all these stories about him being quite of ruthless with his band, mm-hmm. you know because if you if you take something like this is a man's well, you know you, you've got to be right on the what they call the hone of the scone, 10 right. band. and if you if, if you're this is a man's well," and you'll turn around and go, mm-hmm. ten dollar fine because he wants it this is a man's well He wants uh, it back Wow well, to, right. to, to create the tension. but you've got to have ten guys doing that, you know so. yeah. So I'd heard about this and all I could see was the whites, the guy, the drummer's eyes, and I'd heard about this. It was just such a gig, it was fantastic. <laughs> the place was just, you went to the bar and it was like a Western, you said, give me a beer. And the the beer, the beer came sliding down the
1: oh, that's so down cool. the
0: town, he grabbed it, I was drinking <laughs> it I those days, not to excess, but um, I was drinking. And uh, mm-hmm. so it, this idea was formulating in my brain that it was just such a wonderful, wonderful occasion. That I hung around afterwards and waited by what I assumed was the stage door Mm -hmm. and waited and waited and waited and waited. And this guy came out with another black guy. I said, You're the drummer, aren't you? He said, Yeah. And I just had it already. I had like all my money. I had about $200 in in cash. I I gave it to him. I said, I know I was already welling up with kind of emotion that I wanted to make this gesture, but I, I, I said, this is for your fines. You don't deserve that. I'm doing much better than you are at the moment.
2: <laughs> wow. wow.
0: And I just came, and then I just turned around. I was so kind of embarrassed. I didn't want any kind of yeah, you know, recognition. Yeah. Oh, thanks God. I just, I would just, and hightailed it. Right. And that would have been round about 1980. And I would just love to know who he was and if ah. he remembers it. And if he's still alive. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want the money back. I just, just want to know. <laughs> With interest. If, 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 if it was, it was about $200 and I had no money for a cab. So I walked, walked all, all the way through Manhattan up up to the West side,
1: wow, but I didn't man. think
0: it was dangerous. I don't know if maybe it was, I don't know, yeah. but um, yeah, it was great, man. I, I'm so glad I did that.
1: Oh, that is incredible, it's man. Really... I, I, I guarantee he definitely remembers that.
0: Yeah, but I don't know who he is because it wasn't Clyde Stubblefield or any, or any of the, no. the real big hitters, but it would what? have been around that, about yeah. 1980. Hmm, we'll so, have to try to so figure anybody out, out there in la la land yeah. yeah please you know if you have yeah, we'll an get... inkling if it was it would be great i, I i'd be really pleasantly surprised if anything comes of it but i just felt I had to you know
1: yeah put we'll put, put, put it out put there and throw it up on the internet man and see if we can get any yeah. responses from it that's, that's incredible th- this will be a fun project to work on jo- yeah, john's yeah. quite the sleuth he, could, okay, he, okay. he does pretty well yeah i could try to figure it out man now it's going to be my mission uh, and I'm going to, when you, when, if you do wound up finding him, you're going to be like, have you, uh, could you sound a little bit more like a tomato when you drum? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, could yeah. you just, that'd be great. If that's all you wanted to say, I like do all this work and you're just like, <laughs> just get in there. Um, do you, I got, I got to ask, cause you were talking a little bit about it before you were talking about, um, like fame to a certain extent. Do you remember a point when, when you were in dire straits where the fame did kind of wash over you, where you were like, oh, my God, everything is changing for me.
0: Um,
1: I remember being in a Cadillac at about 7 o'clock in the morning,
0: going to one of these uh, New York radio stations. They were trying to shove champagne down my throat. I was like, Jesus Christ, you know. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that what I'm supposed to do? You know, I can't function. I can't. I can't. Thankfully, the, what saved me throughout any of my career is that I can't play with alcohol in my system. I mean, I can play. Wow. Yeah. But I can't play anywhere near the kind of coordinated
1: right. thing
0: that I want. You know, I become slowly. I become too relaxed. Then I become sloppy, and then I just don't function. So sure. any of the problems I may have kind of built up for myself came afterwards with, for you know, the free the free stuff afterwards to wind down. I think that's where a lot of people have the have the problems. But there are drummers who uh, who will drink and go on stage. They need that kind of I don't know
2: liquid energy. Like I, don't know,
1: I don't know what
0: it is, but I just cannot imagine playing w- with with your limbs kind of, you know, a millisecond behind your hands.
1: There's a lot of mm-hmm. comics when I started who you yeah. would go up with a beer all the time or would drink. Excessively. Well, yeah, that's what, yes. just from nerves. But I never. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I could do it afterward. Yeah, but I, I could not. That's right. I could not. St- I also didn't want to get into the habit of doing it before a stage no. thing. I saw a lot of people who would like there was just their genuine crutch, you know, we were you get introduced to people. Mm hmm because you
0: assume you, it's nothing to do with, we had this kind of uh, tour manager called Paul Cummins who was became an assistant manager for the man, for the band's management. And we were in, I remember clearly, we were in Copenhagen doing a tour and we went to, it was in this nice hotel and uh, we went to this, after the gig, we went to this little bar area which was the, like the library. It was very yeah. suave, Chesterfield seats and you know, mm. and the waiter comes, yes sir, what do you like? And, marianne faithful jumped up and paul apparently she recognized paul she didn't know mm-hmm. it was from adam and he and he jumped up oh, he said, come meet the boys come meet the boys and and uh, uh, he was very aware of the protocol you know introducing to mark first so mm-hmm. um marianne <laughs> this is mark mark marianne says oh so pleased to meet you and i was next and she went oh ditto <laughs> <laughs>
2: what? What?
0: Ditto. <laughs> and in those days, we were we were still having sing songs and things with the crew and things mm-hmm. in the hotel. And she came up to the to one of the rooms, and we were you know having the singing and. Um, I've been treated, mistreated when and she was singing, but she mm-hmm. sounded like Larry the Lamb I've been mistreated, in and I was trying to cover her. Because you could see could see could see the the crew who have no kind of you know compunction about being diplomatic or anything, just right. pissing themselves and going beh woo 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 stuff <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to say oh when will I be loved <laughs> and that's the sort of thing that I, I sat I sat next to Bert Lancaster once on a plane oh, wow. Wow. and uh, going to Rome and we were all kind of in awe of him. I thought, oh, somebody's got to say something. Mm. You know? I said, oh, what are you doing here? He says, oh, I'm, he says, I'm, I'm going to do some overdubs for a film. He says, I'm really excited because i says, I just love Italian cooking and I'm going to get some recipes. But he says, it's basically tomato driven and I never buy them, I always steal them. What? You're what? What? Yeah. No, I steal them. He says, they're too expensive. You know, just use some. <laughs> Wow. I just can't believe it. I can't believe it. Just um, for the rush? I don't know. I I didn't get into involved conversation. It's just that kind of walk from the plane to the
1: carousel. You know, and then 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 he's whisked off. We weren't that famous. That's so funny, that though. It was one of the one, one of the things I used to ask, at, like, any actor that we had on the show in the very beginning was, well, have you ever stolen anything off the set? Have you ever taken anything? What have you? What's the worst thing you've taken? That's great. Burt Lancaster stole. <laughs> he
0: stole tomatoes, that's what he said. He <laughs>
2: yeah, stole tomatoes. That's
1: what it is. He, yeah. he didn't like paying for them. Oh, that is fucking hilarious. That's, that makes me happy. But the um, fame
0: thing, you know, I mean, I think we were kind of
1: okay, okay
0: really. You know, I mean... It, mm. It did become an, an issue later on, but right. n- not in terms of, uh, it d- didn't really hit you, you know, that, that much. Um, it's part of that thing where you just start off as a unit and you just go together and it's just, it, it, uh, I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I, some of the moments that I really cherish, we played at um, Juventus, the, the, the football team in Turin that's owned by Fiat. Oh, okay. And we played at their old stadium. They moved now to a place called Stadio degli Albi, but before <laughs> they were this uh, comune uh, owned by the the commune. You know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: a lot of Italian teams don't own their own ground. You know, right, it's a big big problem for them financially and the, the finances of their respective clubs. But we we played there, and uh, we played football after the sound sound check and we were told to get off the pitch, but thousands of people were on it later, so I don't know why. Right. But we came out and do an encore and they all used to light their cigarette lighters. Yeah. About forty thousand people. And with no 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 house lights or anything, no floodlights on. Mm. And you just come out and it's just it's just such a... You, you, your heart comes up in your mouth. And it's just really moving. And that kind of part of fame where you you, you just bathe in this sea of uh, appreciation it's it, it's incredible you know it's just very touching and i think you have to be careful how you you kind of play with it. you you have to try and be humble yeah. I, I think what really saved my bacon was on one tour in uh, america i put all my stage clothes in uh, in into the laundry mm-hmm. uh, it was the mayflower next to central park
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the bellhop put it in a three-day Thing instead of an express one so i left without it and it just chased me all over america you know kept going to these hotels where i had already been and so they, they worked it out they have to send it to a hotel i'm going to be in in 10 days and they get it but in the meantime every time we stopped i just went in shops and bought bought clothes for stage wow and thankfully i started to get kind of flamboyant where white satin and <laughs> coats with polka dots on and a baby grow and and basically what happened is as soon as i came off stage i just put that took that off and that was that was him the guy that did all the you know the the twiddling and the antics and things and as the beatles were implored make show yeah but that was the thing that really kind of um, was a quantum leap you know you just couldn't play in front of 3,000 people and just send you in a recording studio, you had to do something, you know, yeah. you had to do something that was visually kind of engaging so I used to twiddle my sticks and throw them up in the air and dress flamboyantly and try and, you know make it more interesting and Mark's kind of interesting because he's got a lot on his plate, you know, he's just yep. so that side of fame, it kind of it jumps on you, you know you, yeah. you do have this second sense that i just can't be here can't be here it. you've got to start doing something you've know, you got to be more you've got to be larger than life in some right. of these places but with it comes other other issues like everybody turns up really really yeah. loud and it's just not it's that's not possible on a drum kit you know i right. learned that you can't just it doesn't grow exponentially you can't just hit it harder and harder and harder you know like take weights and hit it Harder and get louder. It just the drum chokes, and also right. it just really limits your ability to dynamically influence the band. Because if you start off as loud as possible, there's only you can't go anywhere. Yeah, you can only go down, and it always seems like a anticlimax when you go down. So
1: we were, you, able... of... oh, it, were you were you able to talk to your other bandmates about this at the time? Like, were you guys kind of open with each other about mm, your concerns? No, no, it was it, it was a kind of
0: survival course really. Oh, wow. you know? I remember we went to see the band. On um, Last Waltz in the cinema. Mm-hmm. And it must have been the time that it was an issue because I said, Look at Lee on Helm. Mm. He says, you, you like the sound. You've gone, you're raving about the sound. Look at the way he's playing the drums. He's not smashing the shit out of those drums. Right. And it's a big sound. We can get a big sound without doing that. And the, But it was, you know, it tended. I mean, I actually lost some hearing from those days, you know. Wow. Lost the, uh, the, the, top, the top side, this ear where the monitors were. I don't know so you know it's that side of it is kind of difficult because we they they weren't experienced you know
1: yeah
0: it was the first real band that they were in you know mark been in a couple of bands uh but uh david and john done bugger all really so right so it was just you know you're just thrown in and you have to sink or swim right and uh i learned very quickly just to kind of survive anyway <laughs> yeah. you know just try and survive and do what i could you know and and i used to come off stage and i would never get involved in uh, discussion as to what had happened five minutes after we come off stage and i used to put signs up on the door <laughs> warning post-mortem in progress and, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and fuck off <laughs> and, and 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 kind of you know deflect it all until the morning yeah. What wow. were you doing? You know, And the other aspect of it was you go to a sound check, that's when you see, that's the first time you see the the sound crew and the crew that shift the gear. Mm-hmm. That's the first time you see them since yesterday's gig. And
2: okay. you go
0: there, and they're all of a the sound guys, the, the lighting guys all over me, chats. Oh, Pete, I put a special spot up there tonight. Uh, in that song, you twiddled your stick. Um, yeah, probably did, yeah. He said, oh, no, you've got to tell me when you did it i want that you want to do it at the same time the same place so i can highlight it wow. thought, well yeah that makes sense but in the end what you find is you you you, you begin to find you're starting to have these out of body experiences where you play the same set and you know it backwards that so you almost it's almost like the you you're talking about driving the car john i'm yeah. sure you have driven a car and and gone shit who's driving the last hundred yards Yes, absolutely. Well, that's what I did start to do when I was playing. Who was wow? Because you just out of your body, right? And you go and think, oh, this is where I twiddle my sticks. This is where I jump, jump up, and this is you know. And 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 in the end, it's it's very difficult to to a be spontaneous, Mm -hmm. and it's back to that thing we were talking before in the green room.
1: Yeah, you can't you can't be in the moment. You
0: can't make you can't make things spontaneously it just has to be yeah and some of the best times i have had it it, it's akin to surfing on a big wave with a band all of a sudden it all locks in and you just it just goes and you just ride that thing to death you never want it to stop right you live you live for those nights there's not enough of them really because most nights you come off that post-mortem thing you'll have if there's five people in the band, you probably have three different um, analyses of, the, of what happened. Right. And, and none of it is true. It's just because the sound that you hear is not reflected in the sound that goes out the front. Yeah. And furthermore, it's not reflected in how the people respond because it took me a long time to realize people genuinely want to see you and provided you're making an effort, uh, they, your mean average of playing – it's enough for them. They, I don't know if they know when it's really, you know, taking um, off, or when it's really, you know, I, I, I don't good know. Question, but,
1: but I, I feel like the the diehard fans must must know when it's a special moment. I, I want to, I want to believe that anyway. You know, well, they do like th- when mistakes happen because it makes it
0: unique. Yeah, absolutely. So, provided it's not an embarrassing, embarrassing uh, situation for those for the perpetrators. But right, um, of course but uh, yeah just things like that which are uh, as you get older you know you you just i don't know you just kind of eliminate a lot of that out of your kind of uh, worries and concerns and you just yeah. you know like I saw this thing with Steve Gadd on YouTube the ubiquitous YouTube which I do <laughs> so I do do use uh, mm-hmm. a lot and I get a lot of pleasure from it yeah uh if I can be selective but he uh, sound check he would tell the guys you know it's too loud. It's too loud, quiet and down, you know. And I've started to do that now. I start to play. You can't hear me. No, turn I can hear you. Down. Oh, turn okay. down. No, no, no. When you <laughs> no, play, it sounds like, I can't hear you, Pete. It says, well, turn down. Because that's the way yeah. I play. That's the yeah. way I'm playing. And, and uh, it's up to the guy at the front to make it big, you know.
1: Right, right. And,
0: and you, you've got to have a lot of confidence and uh, be sure of who you are and what you can do and what you are to right. say that and it's back to the other thing as too, you know, walking, walking out of a situation where you say, I'm not the right guy for this. You know, you need, you need somebody else.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and it's not an admission of, uh, inadequacy. It's just there are horses for courses and everything. And right. it's not necessarily you that really suits, you know, your gabardine and that's velvet, you know, and, uh, never, never tell, never show the two be worn at the same time.
1: Yeah. Do you, do you feel like uh, How did Slim Pickens come come about? I mean, do you feel oh, like. Well,
0: a... I, I've got to pick you up on that. There's apparently, there's a band called Slim Pickens in America. And now I've had to change my name. It's Indeed. now Pick's Pocket. Oh, what is it going to be? Changed, uh, Pick's, uh, Slim Pickens is. Uh, a band in America, it, yeah. Yeah. But well, Slim Pickens to me, uh, it just. It was when I did this YouTube gig. I I, I thought, I'm, I'm going to struggle to make money here. Slim Pickens. Yeah. And it's, it's got a kind of correlation to dire straits because uh, i'm, I'm not, not so much holistically responsible <laughs> for dire straits but um the name but mm. i brought the name to the to the band nice. recommend uh, somebody suggested it. a friend of mine suggested it and we did spell it um dire straits as in i g h t s mm-hmm. thinking you know yeah uh, wow. t- uh, with a, a kind of the innuendo being a smoking thing
1: sure it's, you know,
0: if you're straight, you know you don't. Yep. It's because no, uh, we we didn't we smoke very little. I, <laughs> well, all my smoking days were in Italy, where this stuff came across the Mediterranean. Get it out of your it was just, then. Well, it's just it was pure. Sure. It was beautiful. It was the most beautiful Moroccan and Lebanese stuff, and and we did stuff with it. You know. Right. We we were active. We we listened to music. We did recreation and it kind of, you know, just kind of, it was like doing some things in Technicolor as opposed to black and white, you know? Right. But I, you know, it's, it's, I wouldn't recommend it these days because a lot of people who smoke over here, they do this stuff that's, um, I don't know, it's homegrown. And I don't know what's in it. It smells awful.
1: Right. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't,
0: doesn't smell clean or stuff, And I don't know what it is they do because they have these little phones <laughs> and whatever it is, is enhancing. It, it, I don't know. It's just, seems pointless
1: to me yeah yeah Yeah, you guys got all the good stuff
0: in italy yeah because it was coming across from morocco right lebanon yeah before the troubles that introduced me to it because i didn't smoke at all right and uh in in europe you when you smoke hashish you you mix it with tobacco oh so yes. how i would
1: know this is tom's area of expertise (laughs) Well, I have a good friend that's from
2: Italy. And when we were there, he's like, you should smoke some hashish. And I'm like, we don't do that here. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, but he, but great, he said man. the same thing. Mix it with tobacco. And it's a very mellow. Yeah. Pie. The problem
0: was uh, I didn't smoke cigarettes. And so after a while, when there was no hashish, uh, I was hankering after a cigarette, you know. And that wow. started my, my smoking cigarettes for a few years. It took me ages to, to quit. Wow. Thankfully, I've quit now for about 15 years oh congrats man and uh i stopped drinking about 22 years ago
1: oh wow great dude
0: that's awesome and uh i'm really pleased that i've done it now you know really pleased because um um, it's just i'm just the same every 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 waking moment you know yeah i'm not looking not looking at the 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 yard arm i think oh is it time you know kind of right right (laughs) <laughs> kind of yeah so there was beginning to do that yeah a little too, a little too often
1: um yeah well, we i've kept you for over an hour so i want to just uh thank you for coming on man i really appreciate it and uh i gotta ask you the big three questions that we ask every guest okay, okay. I, right, I hate
2: to i hate to jump in as i always do i apologize john but we did have a lot of comments just coming across okay for uh so i know the more was saying that dire straits was actually top 50 most sold records, right? That's a lot of records. And 7.1 7.1 million tickets from nine, that's some monster venues that you've done. So I think he was asking about uh what it was like to play in front of those giant crowds. I know you you kind of answered it already <laughs> for us. But well, I, I don't think I really played giant crowd. I played 40,000 in uh,
0: Torino. But I think they went on to be even bigger venues after I left cuz I'm I'm always pre money for nothing.
1: Right. So my last my right. last
0: record my last record is uh Love Over Gold and yeah. anything that's associated with that so gotcha. you know it's it's not but uh, it's very daunting because you you really do even if you're not really con- you're not really so sort of conscious of it you put so much effort into that first song and and you just feel that it, it, you're not reaching the back of the the back of the room I mean uh, back of the hall auditorium whatever it is but of course reinforced sound now has become so much more sophisticated i think it will be different and monitoring has become very sophisticated so but the answer to the question is um really the uh, the benefits of it is, is that tradition of the lighting the, the cigarette lights and things that that will stay with me forever i don't mm. think people do it anymore because they don't smoke and it's a health and safety issue so i don't know how people kind of indicate their uh approval now but uh, that's the best i can answer it really you know
1: yeah anymore
2: Great. um if there was a lot of just like positive a lot of positive comments coming through that just from you know they were engaging throughout i apologize to them that i wasn't able to bring them up but they were just talking about like how they were really glad about the music teacher drilled us about hearing protection and just enjoying yeah. a lot of the comments
0: yeah you should you should really you should really do that um Everybody should have hearing protection, and uh, it's the problem is really that you, you're not confident when you first start. You do tend to be loud, you know. It's, it's your default position is to play loud to cover any kind of. It's muscular. It's it's heterosexual. It's whatever it is. <laughs> that you, you just end up doing, right. you know. you just bashing everything to shit and eleven, as in uh, what's that movie? Spinal Tap.
1: Oh Yeah.
0: But now you see I've got these drums now and, and I've got them tuned really nicely. And I can play, you know, it's it's yeah. much more difficult to play quietly, you know. Really, it's 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 awesome. much more difficult to play quieter and then as anybody listening out there you should try it you should really try and play quietly you know cause it's it's another aspect of playing that that's almost forgotten these days
1: do you ever think of bringing these kind of like uh, just like lessons and little nuggets that you learned on the way to youtube like have your own channel and kind of play for
0: yeah but i need a much more sophisticated kind of uh, Camera Recor- recording setup. You know, oh, okay. but I, I feel constrained here. And I, uh, you're there, right. and I, and then the drums are here, <laughs> and, and 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 you know, I, I did some teaching for a while, and oh, uh, nice. really funny story. This <laughs> it's, it's outrageous story. Um, I especially the drums are here now. I can do it. Give it. Give it its full value. Um, mm. my eldest daughter said they want a they want a drum teacher in the school. Why don't you go and do it? So, so comp- a secondary school. That's uh, ages eleven to sixteen. Okay. And uh, so and I, I did it for about two years. And uh, what really made it appealing was that all the equipment was there. I couldn't imagine dragging my equipment once a week there. And the two guys who ran it on the music course were classical musicians that had started families and gravitated towards teaching because it was a much more kind of uh, secure kind of beginning. But they're inspired uh, livelihood. But they right. were kind of in, inspired to to hire active professional musicians to teach one on one instruments. So we had drums, bass, guitar, keys, and the horns, and we all taught separately. And I had this I had about ten pupils. And this one pupil, his name was John or something. I, I couldn't teach him anything. You know, I really couldn't teach him anything. He, I I used to say, "Play me what you can play." You go. Very good, John,
1: that's really
0: good. Play this. You go, yeah. Say, no. Look, John, if, if I play what you play and I play what I want you to play, it sounds like this. This is what, this is what you play. And this is what I want you to play. every week it was always the same. <laughs> so now you've got to picture this school is, um, a lot of them were built in the, in the late fifties, early sixties. They were, um, on greenfield sites, oblong buildings, lots of light, but flat roofs, which didn't really work. Mm-hmm. The mints meant that this guy would have walked across the grass to the music faculty.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I said, John, this is the last, last lesson before the Easter break. I've got it. I'm, I'm got, we're going to crack it today. We're going to crack it today. So I want you to do this, like you always do, and I'm going to get down. I get down and I grab his foot. and I say, I'm going to play the bass drum. So you just let your foot relax. And I grabbed it. And there was this sticky sort of thing. My I, I knew what it was as soon as I felt it, because I've got mm-hmm. dogs.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> so I had this big lump of dog shit in my hand. And you <laughs> got to imagine I was down on my knees and I was going, I was looking at him, imploring me. I said, That sums up our relationship, doesn't it? Really? <laughs> <laughs> so I want you to think long and hard over the Easter break about whether you want to come back, spending your mum and dad's hard earned money because they, they're mm. yet to pay, you know. Right. I, I would do it, but I just don't. I, I just can't do it anymore. I just don't know what I can get you to do to, to, to understand, you know? Yeah. And I won't shake your hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that fantastic. Was, that's a great story. And it's true. It's really yeah. is true. You know, you just couldn't write it. You couldn't write it. It was just fantastic. That's but, awesome.
1: uh, and those kids got the experience of a lifetime.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure that half of them really, really that bothered. They just, you know, I, I learned a lot from it. I learned a lot from it, you know, because to, yeah. to, to walk into that first day thinking, I've got this all covered and find out, because you have to play you have to play all different ways. You have to play this way, you have to play that way, you have mm-hmm. to play left-handed, right-handed, but whoever walks in. And one thing as a general comment, I, the girls kind of listened more than the boys. The boys, uh, it was just, it was just like a gunslinging exercise, Even if they were good, they, they, they wanted to do what they could do and, and impressed right. me. Whereas the girls wanted to listen to what I had to say and try and do it, you know. Yeah. So, um, but uh, it was a thoroughly enjoyable thing. But after two years, I'd really had enough. I don't know how teachers do it because uh, it's back to that thing. They do play loud because yeah. it's it's like a pair of clubs in the hand, you know, right. the white white knuckle ride, you know. It, 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 it's very difficult to teach that how to be relaxed and, and you know, be satisfied with the sound that that makes. It's much better to go. And to be yeah. masculine and macho and and you know, right? But, you know, yeah. So I've, I know I've come a long way since Dave Lawrence taught me that beat, <laughs> which I thought was so cool. Yeah, uh, I think it's on Fortune Teller. Went oh. to the fortune teller. have yeah, my yeah. fortune read. Ba, 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 da da but a I Think I'll do that in my in my band now. Picks pocket. We'll do that because that, that's a weather. great name I, yeah. I like that
1: i like, i like that better than slim pickens okay that's great so we got name. a gig we got a gig on july the 9th mm-hmm.
0: oh and, a, and another gig in six days later in london oh but nice it's, uh it's only 100 only 100 seats a place called the, the, the piano smithfields
1: oh sweet man
0: so i'm looking forward to that and the one up here will be a kind of a, t- a taster
1: you got to come out to the states so we can uh we can come get together
0: I, I will come. I'll definitely come. But uh, the the band thing is, I, I I don't want to underwrite it all the time. You know, it's got to kind of get to that stage where it pays yeah. for itself. And, and yeah. you would remember, it, it came out of this this um, lockdown madness. I just thought that we could do this stuff as soon as, as soon as lockdown is is, is over. And, yeah. and I don't want to do. I don't want to play concerts. I just want to play in rooms where people can just have a good time. Sure, and, and play good music, and it's just easy for us—pretty easily for us—to kind of learn. It's not a kind of—you know—it's not. You just kind of people who love playing it, you know, because the rhythm and blues of that I grew up on from the fifties and sixties—people like Bobby Bland, mm. you know, and, and the Coasters and stuff. It was just a really a great era, you know. Earl Palmer and the Little Richard records. It's just, oh, right. It just—it just comes back to that thing where you you, you really do hear the energy in the record yeah you know which which i don't think you'd you'd necessarily relate to that anymore you, you relate to a very compressed tight sound which 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 may impress you but um you can't identify individual performances on right. it or feel that you know uh, sometimes i feel i can get in the room with these
1: guys when i'm listening to it
0: maybe i listened on a different level i don't know
1: no, you. Oh, you 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 probably do. Absolutely, yeah. And that makes sense. How could you not?
2: Well, or John, I was going to toss out there too. We instead of taking the American mindset that he should come here, we should we do should the go... dystopia
1: tonight European tour and get to London to see this I would, man play. I would love to. That would be amazing. Right. I've never. I've never to. been. No. You... No. Never. I have family out there too. Oh well. I'm putting it on my dream board. I In want Italy. to do it, John. In uh, no, 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 in uh, in uh, England, would you say you know your dream board? Yeah, I know, I, I have family in England, and uh, my my um uh grandfather was from um um Holy Holy Mother of God. When I'm, I'm blanking on uh, I've said it a million I know where he's from. Wait, it's a beach area, um, Brighton. Brighton, holy shit. Oh, I live in a place called New Brighton. Oh, no way, is it any yeah. the same? Just a, it's, it's somebody who wanted
0: to kind of create Brighton. Ah, oh. in the in the north, and it's, oh, okay. it stems back to Victorian times when people didn't. There were no uh, bucket flights oh, to the okay. continent, and and that, that's what killed this place as a resort. I mean, uh-huh. I walk around this place now. It's it's opposite. It's opposite um, Liverpool, you know, on the other okay. side of the River Mersey, right. and uh, it's uh, it was just heaving with people back in mm. the fifties and the forties, you know, right. and then. Cheap flights and guaranteed sun just just killed it, you know, which, you, you know, you, you can't compete with that because we don't yeah. have enough sunshine in this country. Oh, I you didn't know, even you know there was a new it. Brighton. Yeah, it's a little place there. The Beatles played there 27 times in three years. Oh, wow. I know holy that. I, I've seen the Blue Plaque.
1: Oh, and Little <laughs> Richard's
0: played there, you know. The, the venue's burnt down since, but uh, you know, I, I passed that most days.
1: That's you know. awesome. Yeah, I've never, uh, I got to get out there. We should do that. We should just go out there instead. You stay where you are. We're going to come to you. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Um, I want to... Perfect segue. I'm going to ask you the big three questions. First one. um, uh, If you go back in time and talk to your younger self, uh, what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today? Learn to read music.
0: Really, make a concerted effort to learn to read music. I've dabbled at it. I can function notionally, but I would really, really... Want to to have nailed it completely yeah because it's just such a useful
1: tool that's great um second question is what had to end in your life good or bad that led you to where you are right now i I didn't quite get the first bit uh what what had to end in your life good or bad that led you to where you are today What, what what ended yeah what had to end um Well,
0: I had to uh, get out of London, really, mm. you know, but then it's just everybody's getting out of London because the music business is no longer centred there. You know, it's just right. it's, it, it's here now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's where I think I probably suffer the most because uh, to 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 mic a kit, you need about 15000 pounds worth of mics and then you need a console and then you need to, you know, so yeah. and it's never been my kind of area of expertise. I did a recording. Here in, on this kit about back in the last summer, and it was great. Mm. You know, just you used click tracks, which was nice, and I could I've still got the you know the discipline without being inhibited, right. and uh, and just played on uh, an album which is uh, hopefully coming out in Italy. It's uh, to mark 50 years of when I was first there. Oh, so wow. uh, one of the guys has died, unfortunately, but he died a long time ago um uh, so uh we see what happens with that because covid has kind of messed that up as well but i really enjoyed enjoyed playing it was great Uh, and even though it was kind of in that modern approach of i play here and he plays over we don't play together and yeah that's really what i miss most of all playing together because it kind of becomes more than the some total of the parts.
1: Yeah. No, I know. I hear you, man. I hope we get to do more of that eventually. I don't know when, but uh, that'd be nice. It, it, it's, it's terrible not to be able to see people. Even when like, you know, uh, you know what I miss too? Getting tired of seeing people. You know when you would just, you would just need a break and you'd be like, oh, it's so nice to be by myself and you relax. Hey, I, I don't have that. <laughs> I want to see people all the time. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, uh, last question is uh, tied into the show. So if this was a, a real dystopia, and I'm talking like an alien, zombies, a comet heading toward Earth or floods. Yeah. Uh, and it was everybody's last day on Earth and you knew it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how would you want to go out? What would be your epic death? Hang on. I got
0: a, I got a message coming in and the sound went down. Oh. So I got oh. a text. If I
1: was going to go out, what would my message be? Yeah. What? Would, no, not your message. What would be your epic death? How would you want to go out? Last day on Earth. What would you be doing? I'll be playing the drums. Nice. I love that, and yes. you know what?
2: On that note, could you play us off? I think that would okay. be a really fun. Oh, that'd be great way to
1: close the show. tonight.